Maybe I'm the only one that this happens to, but I kind of doubt it. As a matter of fact, in observing other people, I see this, well, we'll just call it a flaw, in other people as well. This makes me believe I am not the only one. For me, because of the way my goofy mind works, I often expect something to be a certain way, or I expect a place to be in a specific location. And when things are other than what I expect, I am completely out of sorts. This is Coach Straub, and on this episode of the Old Man's Podcast, I'm going to talk about what I believe is a common occurrence, something that throws us off our game and messes us up in life. I'm going to call it tunnel vision, and you better heed my warning. Missing the obvious can be a real setback for any of us. So wake me up when it's all Thank you, thank you so much for being here with me. I am thrilled to be able to put out another episode of the podcast and have my loyal and fun-loving listeners share this with me. Please take the time to subscribe and pass this on to your friends, family, everybody you know. And a rating or review on the app that you're getting this podcast, that's helpful as well. I have dropped another episode on the subscription service if you're an exclusive content subscriber. I finally got the third part of the Joy of Home Brewing up. I struggled with trying to do that. It's a video that makes it even more difficult. If you want access to the exclusive content, it's real easy to do. You can do it on the app that you're getting this podcast. If you're having issues and you can't figure out how to do it, just hit me with an email at the old man's email at yahoo.com. That was the old man's email at yahoo.com. You can post up a question on Facebook. You can visit my website on Podpage. Uh, just do a Google search for that pod page and then look up the old man's podcast. All kinds of ways to get answers to questions, to chime in and give me some um, ideas, what you'd like to hear, stupid things that you hear me say that you want to counter, or maybe you're crazy enough to agree with me. That's great, too. You can do that on all of those things. In fact, you can leave a voice message on the uh, pod page page and also on the Anchor app. Voicemails can be left. And we can have you on any episode of the podcast vicariously almost in that regard. So what's coming up on this episode? We're going to play trivia on animals. And the reason we're doing animal trivia is because I am having some issues with critters. That's another topic we're going to talk about. I have a horrible fear I need to admit to you. And on my mind is finding the coffee. On my mind for this episode is the coffee was lost. Really wasn't lost, I guess. It wasn't on the shelf that I had originally put it on. In fact, it was just one shelf up. But because it wasn't where I expected it to be, it might as well have been invisible. What I've noticed about myself, and not just in coffee being on the wrong shelf in the cupboard, but in a lot of things that I've been involved with over my life in many, many aspects, If something isn't where 
or how I expect it to be, I can't see it. That's an issue with communication as well for me. Funny story I'll tell you about Tim uh, at the state wrestling tournament, the big year we had in 1998, trying to figure out in day two if we had the thing already won or not. So I had said, how many guys do we have on the bubble? On the bubble means if this kid wins his next match, he goes on in the tournament and places. If he loses his next match, he's going to be eliminated from the tournament. Over for him. He can't score points. So my question just kind of out loud to nobody in general was, I wonder how many we got on the bubble. And then I started going through the 14 names, uh, 14 weight classes, saying each kid's name. And I got to the end after I finished number 14, the heavyweight. I said again out loud, so how many is on the bubble? All of the coaching staff was just looking at me, and Tim raised his hands, kind of in disgust, and said, that's what we were supposed to be figuring out? You didn't say that. I don't know how many is on the bubble. So we had to start all over again. It was a complete miscommunication on my part, something that I still laugh about now more than 20 years later. Yeah, that's how I work. I say something, I think something, in my mind, everybody's on the same page, but in reality, nobody is. And it's not everybody else's fault. That's my problem, something that I have to correct. For me, it's not just trying to find something in the pantry or the refrigerator or communicating how many guys are on the bubble. It could be the location of a giant building. I've gone places where I thought I knew where I was going, to somebody's office. Or, or location of any kind, a giant building is what I mean by that, and I can't find it. I can't find it because I should have made a right, instead I made a left. I should have gone down another block. I stopped too early, went too far. Very, very simple things. In my mind, I know where this location is, but in my mind, I'm wrong. In that big building, that place where I'm trying to go, it might as well be invisible. And at that point, I realized if I would have just opened up my mind and not closed it or fixed it on what I thought was the location, I wouldn't have been driving around all over the place for so long. This is true for projects, ideas, things that I've worked on in groups. I get my mind set on a solution or a course of action to be taken, and all along, I miss some real obvious answers to what might be a problem. Now, if this is just me, if I'm the only one that is his own worst enemy in these kinds of situations, then that's great. But from what I've seen in other people, and you have to answer for yourself if you qualify for this, we tend to close our mind to what we think is correct and not take into consideration other things that will work even better. We block these things out because we think we have a better answer or solution for the problem we are faced with. If we're lucky and we have good people around us, people that will correct us before it's too late, that's fantastic. But in cases where we're on our own, we'll just make that mistake. And whether we learn from those mistakes or not, well, that's up to us all the way, isn't it? As you know, that's been a steady theme in this podcast. Self-improvement, learning from mistakes, self-reflection, honest self-reflection, and that's hard to do. I've often shared my experiences with the listeners on self-reflection, and let's just be honest, I'm not really all that good at it. See what I did there? 
self-reflection. I mean, it's not like very many of us have the fate of humanity hanging on our every decision. Going the wrong way, making a dumb move, more often than not, it doesn't ruin too much. So the effort for self-improvement in this area, you might not feel it. But I think that effort, the effort to avoid such pending disasters in our life, it's worthy of our time. It just makes things a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable for us to keep ourselves out of our own way. What's the solution? Well, I guess I just have to take my time. I have to practice and drill myself in making sure my eyes are wide open and I'm looking at every possibility. I guess most importantly, I cannot be focused on one solution, one single answer. I have to look broadly at the big picture. Does this sound like something you should be doing as well? I do want to share with you a little exercise that I think helps me develop this skill, and it is a skill. It's in the daily newspaper and it's called Word Jumble. Now you hear me advocate steadily each week on this podcast about the importance of engaging our brain. Since I've started retirement and getting the newspaper, I've been using the word jumble to do just that, to make me think and make me use my brain in ways that I normally never would have in the past. The word is all scrambled up and you have to take the letters that are all scrambled up and make the right word out of it. And at the end, when you've unscrambled the four or five words that are there, there's certain letters that are circled and those are the answers to yet another puzzle. So it's a two-step process. You gotta get the first step done to be able to get to the second step. I almost always accomplish both and I'm really proud of myself for that. I know it sounds a little childish, but I'm serious, it's hard. For me, the big problem is the words that I'm trying to unscramble. Now, the letters are all over the place, they're in a line, but I'll see something like an ER, for example, and think, oh, that could be RE at the end or ER at the beginning. Many times it does work out that way that the word ends in ER or starts in RE, but oftentimes it doesn't. So I can't fixate on that. I have to keep an open mind. The E and the R may be somewhere in the middle of the word, not even together. That's what I mean by keeping an open mind. It's a nice little side benefit for me in that particular activity. I enjoy doing the word jumble and unscrambling the words. I enjoy that challenge, but I've come to realize it makes me change the way I think. And that's why I advocate so strongly for us to make sure that we are engaging our brains every day. I feel like it's training me to look at multiple scenarios and not just focus on what I expect the solution to be. That's what I think has been the problem that I've been discussing this whole segment with you. I tend to focus on what I expect to be a solution and not looking for where the coffee actually is because it could have been moved. In this case it was. Don't look where you think it is, look where it could be. That's anywhere. Same thing with finding a solution for any problem. I can't let a possible solution be invisible to me because it's not something that I went into this problem-solving exercise expecting. Expect the unexpected. So that's my self-improvement goal for the near future. Less tunnel vision, more broad thinking. 
I would encourage anyone else out there that ever falls victim to the same malady to consider a concerted effort on their part to work on a goal like this. Because you are never too old to get better at something. On this episode for this segment, The Old Man's Tip, I don't have a tip for you, but I'm going to go begging you for tips. Let me tell you why. It's spring, and for me, that means gardening season. I love planting a vegetable garden, harvesting stuff like peppers, tomatoes, green beans, onion, lettuce, all sorts of produce out of my very own garden. Breakfast in the morning with green peppers mixed in with the scrambled eggs that came out of the garden 15 minutes ago. That's awesome. I just love doing that. It's a point of pride when you produce something from your own efforts. And yes, it is more healthy. I'm sure of that. I can control what insecticides or fertilizers my produce is subjected to. That's a nice feature, I won't lie. But mostly, for me anyway, it's the feeling that I've made something. I've created something. I always felt like coaching was a little bit like gardening. To build a successful program, a competitive team, to help individuals reach their potential, I had to do gardening-type things. I always felt like you put athletes into a position where they could grow. That's a fertile soil. When they're very young seedlings, new to the sport, you have to take care of them. You have to water them regularly, provide nutrition, protect them from the harm that insects can do, fungus, little critters, those kinds of things. And if you take good care of them, weeding out the things that don't belong, not all, but many will grow to be productive. You can apply this thinking of metaphor gardening to whatever it is that you do. In metaphor gardening, whether that is raising your children, building a program, a business, whatever it is that you do, you follow those same steps and you will be on the road to success. But this isn't a story of metaphors. This is a story of real life gardening. In real life gardening, you have enemies. Sure, you have competition, metaphorically speaking, in the gardening of your profession or in your personal life, but I'm talking about enemies that want to ruin you. I don't think we have a lot of that. I hope we don't have a lot of that in our professional or personal lives. In real life gardening, critters like squirrels and rabbits in particular, they are the enemy. We've been living at the place we're currently living at for the last seven years. All seven years, I've planted a garden in the spring, and I have yet to have a decent harvest. I've gotten some good green beans, and I did one time have some real nice eggplants, but two of my favorites are yet to be born here in the place we now live. That is tomatoes and peppers. The rabbits get in and chew my pepper plants down to a bare nub just as soon as I put them in the ground. It's like they do it overnight, and maybe they are. For the tomatoes, it's squirrels. Evil squirrels. They get in there and pull the baby green tomatoes off the plant, then they carry them off to eat them. So sometimes on my deck where I watched them, like they're looking at me, 
looking at them out the window while they eat my baby green tomato. I hate them squirrels. Rabbits are at least considerate enough not to show up when you're around. They're sneaky about it. Squirrels, they're arrogant and devious. I hate them. So this year I've upped my game compared to what I've done in the last few years in terms of squirrel and rabbit repellent. Oh yeah, in the past I've used that powder that you sprinkle on the ground. It's supposed to keep the rabbits and I guess the deer away. I got news for you, that doesn't work. At least not with these hard-headed critters I'm dealing with. So this year, I constructed a Maginot line. Now, if you just raised your eyebrows, scratched your head, don't know what the Maginot line is, that means you should have stayed awake in history class. The Maginot line was what the French built to keep the Germans from invading their country again following the First World War. It was thought to be an impregnable defense, and it probably was, but no one will ever know because the Germans simply went around it. My version of the Maginot line in my garden involves things like steaks, nets, Tabasco sauce or super hot fajita mix, pie pans, everything that I've ever read about that you can use to scare garden enemies away. I've surrounded all of my plants with two layers of very tightly woven netting. I staked it into the ground and put heavy boards on top of it so nothing could find its way under the net to get in. I've even put lids on top of the netting so they can't get in over the top. I am constantly spraying hot sauce on the plants so they don't smell or taste too good should something get to them and I've tied pie pans all the way around to hopefully scare away any jittery critters that wander nearby. So far, almost three weeks into gardening, the plants are surviving. You might be thinking, hey stupid, why don't you just give up, go buy peppers and tomatoes at the grocery store. You would be correct because that would be a lot less expensive and a whole lot less effort. But where's the challenge? Where's the fun? Tell me, where is the self-fulfillment? It's too early to celebrate, but I kind of feel like I'm making headway this year. I've never got three weeks into a planting season and had very much left in the garden. So wish me luck. But more importantly, if you have any tips or ideas on how to keep little critters out of your garden, please let me know. I am an amateur gardener in the strictest definition of the term amateur. If you can get on the old man's podcast page on Facebook, I'm going to put a picture of my garden up on there for you. You can throw out some ideas or suggestions on the Facebook page. Ways to make my garden more survivable against rabbits and squirrels in particular. If you could do that, I would be grateful. So find the old man's podcast Facebook page, like it, and let's hear some comments on how to help me become a better gardener. All right, team, gather around. Time for a pep talk. If you listen to this podcast regularly, one thing you'll hear me harp on is the notion that happiness is a mindset. I see people around me who complain they're not happy, they make excuses, they're not happy, they live a life that they think should be better. Yet, the things that they do, particularly in their mindset, makes me believe that they are standing in their own way to being that happy person they think they deserve to be. 
So I like each week to do a brief segment on a mindset for happiness and talk about the different things that I've learned along the way that help assure all of us to live that happy life by establishing a mindset of happiness. For this episode, I've got a poem. Nobody really knows who wrote this poem, so don't worry, I didn't write it. I've seen it in a book that Arnold Palmer was quoted in. You know who he is, right? The guy that invented the drink? No, he was a professional golfer. He said he had a plaque that he hung in his office for decades, and it had this poem on it. He's not aware of its origin, but he did say he considered it a pertinent guideline for everyone to pursue in life towards specific goals as well. For me, reading this, it makes me think about a mindset for happiness. So I'm just going to read the poem for you, and you tell me if this isn't the right mindset. The title is, Whether You Think You Can or You Can't, You're Probably Right. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think that you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win, but you think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you've lost. For out in the world, you'll find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. If you think you are outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can ever win a prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man. But sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. Again, the title, whether you think you can or you can't, you're probably right. I don't know, I should just do a mic drop now and walk away. It's all about the state of mind, right? It's something that we all know. But I think, at least it works with me on this, I think many of us don't have a state of mind that's going to lead to happiness, and we don't realize it. It's a slow, slow downward spiral of excuse-making, of negative thoughts, of gossiping, of a lethargic attitude, really any number of things that keep us out of that state of happiness we deserve to. So it's a great thing to remember. Whether you think you can or can't, you're probably right. Yay! Let's play Engage Your Brain, that weekly activity I love to do to remind me and everybody else for that matter. We've got to engage our brain every day. I already talked about one of the benefits I believe I'm getting personally from engaging my brain every day. A little earlier in the podcast, I talked about the word jumble and how it makes me restructure, rethink the way I go about solving problems. And that's a great thing for me. Because I was complaining about garden critters, I thought I'd do uh, Engage Your Brain trivia questions is what that is. thought I'd do them on animals. So here we go. How are you with animals? First question, everybody's favorite animal, dogs. A dog sweats through which part of its body? How does a dog sweat? The answer is dogs sweat 
through their paws. Next question, how far away can a wolf smell its prey? If you want to hide from a wolf, how far do you have to be from them? They got quite the sniffer. Wolves can smell their prey from almost two miles away. That is ridiculous. Although I think I can smell a steak from two miles away, personally. Third question. Which animal spends 90% of his day sleeping? This animal is my hero. 90% of its day, I guess that means 90% of his life, sleeping. No, it's not your teenage kid. It is a koala bear. Those are some sleeping critters, man. Do you know what color the tongue of a giraffe is? Think about this one now. You've never probably been up close to a giraffe, but yeah, I'm sure you've seen pictures. The color of the tongue of a giraffe is purple. Next one. Polar bears have white fur. Under the white fur of a polar bear, what color is its skin? Well, you never thought about this. Obviously, the white fur is something that will camouflage it. But what color is its skin? The answer is, a polar bear's skin is black. Black skin, white fur. If you didn't have the white fur, a polar bear would stick out pretty significantly against the snow, wouldn't he? I got a bonus question for us because I just feel terrible for this animal. Which animal's poop... Yes, I did say poop. Which animal's poop is known to frequently take the shape of a cube? This poor animal poops out cubes that cannot be comfortable. The animal is, and I couldn't identify one in the lineup, a wombat. Whatever a wombat is, it should ha- I should hold it in higher respect because of the fact that it poops cubes. That ought to be... Like, kudos to you. You're able to survive that. If you want to be tough and you want the whole world to know you're tough, poop out a cube. Way to go, wombats. I'll leave you on that note and remind you to make sure every day you engage your brain. This episode's segment of Funny Thing Happened really kind of got a, well, it's going to sound like a scary thing at first, but it's going to get funny at the end, so stay with me. I am about to go on a scary adventure. It's scary for me. It might not be for you. This could be a life-changing event I'm going through. It could be the end of things for me, or the beginning of the end at least. It involves a boat big giant boat that has on it a couple of thousand other people but that's a completely different topic the boat anyway you see I'm going on a cruise and I am scared what I'm scared about is probably not what any of you would be scared of see I'm not afraid of water not afraid of boats I do admit I'm moderately afraid of being around other people I think that there's a really good chance that somebody's going to get on my nerves. I'm going to be trapped on a boat with 2,500 people. I'm sure there's a good chance I might toss somebody over. What scares me about the cruise is the buffet. 
I have my entire adult life had what I think is an eating disorder, something I believe that is really common for most wrestlers. Because we have to make weight and go without eating for long periods of time, when we finally get the chance to eat, we eat like no human being ever should. If there's food around and we're not cutting weight, so for me that's like the last 40 years of my life, if there's food around, it's getting eaten with impunity. Now, I've not ever been on a cruise before, but what I understand about cruises is that there is always food around, that you can start eating in the morning and not stop until you fall asleep at night. That's an enormous problem for me because that's a challenge I'm willing to take on. I'm not a skinny person by any means right now, but I've always been flirting with obesity and I'm right at the edge, maybe one meal from a motorized chair. At this point, I'm just about as heavy as I've been in the last five years. But I've been solid for the last couple of years and haven't gained much weight in the last year at all. But I'm just afraid of what this cruise is going to do to me. What could it possibly do to you? I don't know. And I don't want to find out. This could be the one experience that takes me over the top and I never come back from it. So is that a funny thing? Sure, laugh. I don't mind, but I am kind of serious. No, eating disorders are not comical, but my hapless, stupid self, you can go ahead and laugh at me because I cause my own problems like this one. Now, I do have one possible out, and that's that I get seasick quite easily. My wife got me those patches that you wear that are supposed to keep you from getting sick. I'm going to take them with us, but I'm not going to wear one. Well, at least not at first anyway. I'm actually hoping for a little bit of nausea from being on a boat. My theory is that if I feel nauseated, I'm a lot less to eat like a pig. That's a sad and pathetic solution, isn't it? It really should be a simple problem to solve, but not for me. I'll let you guys know how it goes. I know it's the superstition to say to an actor or actress before a big show, break a leg. So don't wish me good luck or to break a leg. How about you wish me, hope you get sick. I would really appreciate any prayers and thoughts you could send my way for a pending nausea. Well, that'll do it. I have got to go. Because remember, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. And I think I can take on that entire buffet, so I'm probably right. So I'm off to a cruise. Don't worry, I'll keep the podcast flowing while I'm gone. I've already got a few episodes put together, and I'll drop those for you while I'm out there. How much trouble could I possibly get in laying on my back underneath the buffet table? I think I'm going to be safe. You guys, you be safe out there too. I hope you come back next week. In the meantime, remember to live boldly.